Chapter 6, Part 1 of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jen Broda. Chapter 6, Part 1 Brains are really everything. June 14th. Well, Dorothy and I arrived at New York yesterday because Mr. Eisman finally decided to send us home because he said that all of his button profession would not stand the strain of educating me much more in Europe. So we separated from Mr. Eisman in Budapest, because Mr. Eisman had to go to Berlin to look up all of his starving relatives in Berlin, who have done nothing but starve since the war. So he wrote me just before we sailed, and he said that he had dug up all his starving relatives, and he had looked them all over and decided not to bring them to America, because there was not one of his starving relatives who could travel on a railroad ticket without paying excess fare for overweight. So Dorothy and I took the boat, and all the way over on the boat, I had to make up my mind whether I really wanted to marry the famous Henry H. Spofford or not, because he was waiting for me to arrive at New York, and he was so impatient that he could hardly wait for me to arrive at New York but I have not wasted all of my time on Henry, even if I do not marry him, because I have some letters from Henry which would come in very, very handy if I did not marry Henry. So Dorothy seems to agree with me quite a lot, because Dorothy says the only thing she could stand being to Henry would be to be his widow at the age of 18. So coming over on the boat, I decided not to bother to meet any gentleman, because what good does it do to meet gentlemen when there is nothing to do on a boat but go shopping at a little shop where they do not have anything that costs more than five dollars? And besides, if I did meet any gentleman on the boat, he would want to see me off the boat, and then we would bump into Henry. But then I heard that there was a gentleman on the boat who was quite a dealer in unset diamonds from a town called Amsterdam. So I met the gentleman, and we went around together quite a lot. But we had quite a quarrel the night before we landed, so I did not even bother to look at him when I came down the gangplank, and I put the unset diamonds in my handbag so I did not have to declare them at customs. So Henry was waiting for me at the customs, because he had come up from Pennsylvania to meet me, because their country estate is at Pennsylvania, and Henry's father is very, very ill at Pennsylvania so Henry has to stay there practically all of the time. So all of the reporters were at the customs, and they all heard about how Henry and I were engaged to one another, and they wanted to know what I was before I became engaged to Henry. So I told them that I was nothing but a society girl from Little Rock, Arkansas. So then I became quite angry with Dorothy, because one of the reporters asked Dorothy when I made my debut in society at Little Rock, and Dorothy said I made my debut at the Elks Annual Street Fair and Carnival at the age of 15. I mean, Dorothy never overlooks any chance to be unrefined, even when she is talking to literary gentlemen like reporters. So Henry brought me to the apartment in his Rolls Royce, and while we were coming to the apartment, he said he wanted to give me my engagement ring, and I really became all thrills. So he said that he had gone to Cartier's, and he had looked over all the engagement rings in Cartier's, and after he had looked them all over, he had decided that they were not half good enough for me. 
So then he took a box out of his pocket, and I really became intrigued. So then Henry said that when he looked at all of those large-sized diamonds, he really felt that they did not have any sentiment, so he was going to give me his class ring from Amherst College instead. So then I looked at him and looked at him, but I am too full of self-control to say anything at this stage of the game, so I said it was really very sweet of him to be so full of nothing but sentiment. So then Henry said that he would have to go back to Pennsylvania to talk to his father about us getting married, because his father has really got his heart set on us not getting married. So I told Henry that perhaps if I would meet his father, I would win him over, because I always seem to win gentlemen over. But Henry says that that is just the trouble, because some girl is always winning his father over, and they hardly dare to let him go out of their sight, and they hardly dare to let him go to church alone, because the last time he went to church alone, some girl won him over on the street corner, and he arrived back home with all of his pocket money gone, and they could not believe him when he said that he had put it in the plate, because he has not put more than a dime in the plate for the last fifty years. So it seems that the real reason why his father does not want Henry to marry me is because his father says that Henry always has all of the fun, and every time Henry's father wants to have some fun of his own, Henry always stops him, and Henry will not even let him be sick at a hospital where he could have some fun of his own. But he keeps him at home where he has to have a nurse Henry picked out for him, who is a male nurse. So all of his objections seem to be nothing but the spirit of reciprocity. But Henry says that all his objections cannot last much longer, because he is nearly 90 years of age after all, and nature must take its course sooner or later. So Dorothy says what a fool I am to waste my time on Henry, when I might manage to meet Henry's father, and the whole thing would be over in a few months, and I would practically own the state of Pennsylvania but I do not think I ought to take Dorothy's advice, because Henry's father is watched like a hawk, and Henry himself is his power of attorney, so no good could really come of it after all. And after all, why should I listen to the advice of a girl like Dorothy, who traveled all over Europe, and all she came home with was a bangle? So Henry spent the evening at the apartment, and then he had to go back to Pennsylvania to be there Thursday morning, because every Thursday morning he belongs to a society who does nothing but censure all of the photo plays. So they cut out all of the pieces of all the photo plays that show things that are too risque that people ought not to look at. So then they put all of the risque pieces together and they run them over and over again. So it would really be quite a hard thing to drag Henry away from one of his Thursday mornings, and he can hardly wait from one Thursday morning to another because he really does not seem to enjoy anything so much as censuring photo plays, and after a photo play has once been censured, he seems to lose all of his interest in it. So after Henry left, I held quite a conversation with Lulu, who is my maid and who looked out for my apartment while I was away. So Lulu really thinks I ought to marry Mr. Spofford after all, because Lulu says that she kept studying Mr. Spofford all of the time she was unpacking my trunks, and Lulu says she is sure that any time I feel as if I had to get away from Mr. Spofford, I could just set him down on the floor and give him a packet of risque French postcards to censure and stay away as long as I like. 
So Henry is going to arrange for me to come down to Pennsylvania for a weekend and meet all of his family. But if all of Henry's family are as full of reforms as Henry seems to be, it will be quite an ordeal, even for a girl like I. June 15th. Yesterday morning was quite an ordeal for a refined girl, because all of the newspapers all printed the story of how Henry and I are engaged to one another, but they all seemed to leave out the part about me being a society girl, except one newspaper, and that was the newspaper that quoted what Dorothy said about me being a debutante at the Elks Carnival. So I called up Dorothy at the Ritz, and I told Dorothy that a girl like she ought to keep her mouth closed in the presence of reporters. So it seems that quite a lot of reporters kept calling Dorothy up. But Dorothy said she did not say anything to any of them, except one reporter asked her what I used for money, and she told him buttons. But Dorothy really should not have said such a thing, because quite a few people seem to know that Mr. Eisman is educating me, and that he is known all over Chicago as Gus Eisman, the Button King, so one thing might suggest another until people's minds might begin to think something. But Dorothy said that she did not say anything more about me being a debutante at Little Rock, because after all, Dorothy knows that I really did not make any debut in Little Rock, because just when it was time to make my debut, my gentleman friend, Mr. Jennings, became shot, and after the trial was over and all of the jury had let me off, I was really much too fatigued to make any debut. So then Dorothy said, why don't we throw you a party now, and you can become a debutante now, and put them all in their place? Because it seems that Dorothy is dying for a party. So that is really the first sensible suggestion that Dorothy has made yet, because I think that every girl who is engaged to a gentleman who has a fine old family like Henry had really ought to be a debutante. So I told her to come right over, and we would plan my debut, but we would keep it very, very quiet and give it tomorrow night, because if Henry heard I was making my debut, he would come up from Pennsylvania, and he would practically spoil the party, because all Henry has to do to spoil a party is to arrive at it. So Dorothy came over, and we planned my debut. So first we decided to have some engraved invitations engraved, but it always takes quite a little time to have invitations engraved. And it would really be foolish, because all of the gentlemen we were going to invite to my debut were all members of the racket club, so I could just write out a notice that I was having a debut and give it to Willie Gwynn and have Willie Gwynn post it on the racket club board. So Willie Gwynn posted it on the club board, and then he called me up and he told me that he had never seen so much enthusiasm since the Dempsey-Furbo fight and he said that the whole racket club would be there in a body. So then we had to plan what girls we would ask to my debut, because I have not seemed to meet so many society women yet, because of course a girl does not meet society women until her debut is all over, and then all the society women all come and call on a debutante. But I know practically all of the society men, because practically all of the society men belong to the racket club. So after I have the racket club at my debut, all I have to do to take my real place in society is to meet their mothers and sisters, because I know practically all of their sweethearts now. But I always seem to think that it is delightful to have quite a lot of girls at a party, if a girl has quite a lot of gentlemen at a party, 
and it is quite delightful to have all of the girls from the Follies. But I really could not invite them, because after all, they are not in my set. So then I thought it all over, and I thought that even if it was not etiquette to invite them to a party, it really would be etiquette to hire them to come to a party and be entertainers. And after they were entertainers, they could mix into the party, and it really would not be a social error. So then the telephone rang, and Dorothy answered it, and it seems that it was Joe Sanguinetti, who is almost the official bootlegger for the whole racket club, and Joe said he had heard about my debut, and if he could come to my debut and bring his club, which is the Silver Spray Social Club of Brooklyn, he would supply all of the liquor, and he would guarantee to practically run the rum fleet up to the front door. So Dorothy told him he could come, and she hung up the telephone before she told me his proposition, and I became quite angry with Dorothy, because after all, the Silver Spray Social Club is not even mentioned in the social register, and it has no place at a girl's debut. But Dorothy said by the time the party got into swing, anyone would have to be a genius if he could tell whether he belonged to the Racket Club, the Silver Spray Social Club, or the Knights of Pythias but I really was almost sorry that I asked Dorothy to help plan my debut, except that Dorothy is very good to have at a party if the police come in, because Dorothy always knows how to manage the police, and I never knew a policeman yet who did not finish up by being madly in love with Dorothy. So then Dorothy called up all of the reporters on all of the newspapers and invited them all to my debut so they could see it with their own eyes. So Dorothy says that she is going to see to it that my debut lands on the front page of all the newspapers if we have to commit a murder to do it. June 19th Well, it has been three days since my debut party started, but I finally got tired and left the party last night and went to bed because I always seem to lose all of my interest in a party after a few days. But Dorothy never loses her interest in a party. And when I woke up this morning, Dorothy was just saying goodbye to some of the guests. I mean, Dorothy seems to have quite a lot of vitality, because the last guests of the party were guests we picked up when the party went to take a swim at Long Beach the day before yesterday, and they were practically fresh. But Dorothy had gone clear through the party from beginning to end without even stopping to take a Turkish bath, as most of the gentlemen had to do. So my debut has really been very novel, because quite a lot of the guests who finished up at my debut were not the same guests that started out at it, and it is really quite novel for a girl to have so many different kinds of gentlemen at her debut. So it has really been a very great success, because all of the newspapers have quite a lot of write-ups about my debut, and I really feel quite proud when I saw the front page of the Daily Views, and it said in large-size headlines, Lorelei's debut, a wow. And Zitz Weekly came right out and said that if this party marks my entrance into society, they only hope that they can live to see what I will spring once I have overcome my debutante reserve and taken my place in the world. So I really had to apologize to Dorothy about asking Joe Sanguinetti to my debut, because it was wonderful the way he got all of the liquor to the party, and he more than kept his word. I mean, he had his bootleggers run up from the wharf in taxis right to the apartment, and the only trouble he had was once the bootleggers delivered the liquor, he could not get them to leave the party. 
So finally, there was quite a little quarrel because Willie Gwynn claimed that Joe's bootleggers were snubbing the members of his club because they would not let the boys from the racket club sing in their quartet. But Joe's bootleggers said that the racket club boys wanted to sing songs that were unrefined while they wanted to sing songs about mother. So then everybody started to take sides, but the girls from the Follies were all with Joe's bootleggers from the start because practically all we girls were listening to them with tears streaming from our eyes. So that made the racket club jealous, and one thing led to another until somebody rang for an ambulance and then the police came in. So Dorothy, as usual, won over all of the police. So it seems that the police all have orders from Judge Schultzmeyer, who is the famous judge who tries all of the prohibition cases, that any time they break into a party that looks like it was going to be a good party, to call him up no matter what time of the day or night it is, because Judge Schultzmeyer dearly loves a party. So the police called up Judge Schultzmeyer, and he was down in less than no time. So during the party, both Joe Sanguinetti and Judge Schultzmeyer fell madly in love with Dorothy. So Joe and the judge had quite a little quarrel, and the judge told Joe that if his stuff was fit to drink, he would set the law after him and confiscate it. But his stuff was not worth the while of any gentleman to confiscate who had any respect for his stomach, and he would not lower himself to confiscate it. So about nine o'clock in the morning, Judge Schultzmeyer had to leave the party and go to court to try all of the criminals who break all of the laws. So he had to leave Dorothy and Joe together, and he was very, very angry. And I really felt quite sorry for any person who went up before Judge Schultzmeyer that morning, because he gave everybody 90 days and was back at the party by 12 o'clock. So then he stuck to the party until we were all going down to Long Beach to take a swim day before yesterday, when he seemed to become unconscious, so we dropped him off at a sanatorium in Garden City. So my debut party was really the greatest success of the social season, because the second night of my debut party was the night when Willie Gwynn's sister was having a dance at the Gwynn Estate on Long Island, and Willie Gwynn said that all of the eligible gentlemen in New York were conspicuous by their absence at his sister's party, because they were all at my party. So it seems as if I am really going to be quite a famous hostess, if I can just bring my mind to the point of being Mrs. Henry Spofford Jr. Well, Henry called up this morning, and Henry said he had finally got his father's mind so that he thought it was safe for me to meet him, and he was coming up to get me this afternoon so that I can meet his family and see his famous old historical home at Pennsylvania. So then he asked about my debut party, which some of the Philadelphia papers seemed to mention. But I told him that my debut was really not so much planned as it was spontaneous, and I did not have the heart to call him up at a moment's notice and take him away from his father at such a time for reasons which were nothing but social. So now I am getting ready to visit Henry's family, and I feel as if my whole future depends on it. Because if I cannot stand Henry's family any more than I can stand Henry, the whole thing will probably come to an end in the law court. June 21st. Well, I am now spending the weekend with Henry's family at his old family manor outside of Pennsylvania, and I am beginning to think after all that there is something else in the world besides family. And I am beginning to think that family life is only fit for those who can stand it. For instance, 
They always seem to get up very early in Henry's family. I mean, it really is not so bad to get up early when there is something to get up early about. But when a girl gets up early and there is nothing to get up early about, it really begins to seem as if there was no sense to it. So yesterday we all got up early, and that was when I met all of Henry's family, because Henry and I motored down to Pennsylvania, and everybody was in bed when we arrived, because it was after nine o'clock. So in the morning, Henry's mother came to my room to get me up in time for breakfast, because Henry's mother is very, very fond of me, and she always wants to copy all of my gowns, and so she always loves to look through all of my things to see what I have got. So she found a box of liqueur candies that are full of liqueurs, and she was really very delighted. So I finally got dressed, and she threw the empty box away, and I helped her downstairs to the dining room. So Henry was waiting in the dining room with his sister, and that was when I met his sister. So it seems that Henry's sister has never been the same since the war, because she never had a man's collar and a necktie until she drove an ambulance in the war, and now they cannot get her to take them off. Because ever since the armistice, Henry's sister seems to have the idea that regular women's clothes are effeminate. So Henry's sister seems to think of nothing but either horses or automobiles, and when she is not in a garage, the only other place she is happy is in a stable. I mean, she really pays very little attention to all of her family, and she seems to pay less attention to Henry than anybody else, because she seems to have the idea that Henry's brains are not so virile. So then we all waited for Henry's father to come in, so that he could read the Bible out loud before breakfast. So then something happened that really was a miracle, because it seems that Henry's father has practically lived in a wheelchair for months and months, and his male nurse has to wheel him everywhere. So his male nurse wheeled him into the dining room in his wheelchair, and Henry said, Father, this is going to be your little daughter-in-law. And Henry's father took one good look at me and got right out of his wheelchair and walked. So then everybody was very, very surprised. But Henry was not so surprised, because Henry knows his father like a book. So then they all tried to calm his father down, and his father tried to read out of the Bible, but he could hardly keep his mind on the Bible, and he could hardly eat a bite, because when a gentleman is as feeble as Henry's father is, he cannot keep one eye on a girl and the other on his cereal and cream without coming to grief. So Henry finally became quite discouraged and he told his father he would have to get back to his room or he would have a relapse. So then the male nurse wheeled him back to his room, and it really was pathetic, because he cried like a baby. So I got to thinking over what Dorothy advised me about Henry's father, and I really got to thinking that if Henry's father could only get away from everybody and have some time of his own, Dorothy's advice might not be so bad after all. So after breakfast, we all got ready to go to church, but Henry's sister does not go to church because Henry's sister always likes to spend every Sunday in the garage, taking their Ford farm truck apart and putting it back together again, and Henry says that what the war did to a girl like his sister is really worse than the war itself. So then Henry and his mother and I all went to church, so when we came home from church, we had luncheon and it seems that luncheon is practically the same as breakfast, except that Henry's father could not come down to luncheon, because after he met me, he contracted such a violent fever that they had to send for the doctor. 
So in the afternoon, Henry went to prayer meeting, and I was left alone with Henry's mother so that we could rest up so that we could go to church again after supper. So Henry's mother thinks I am nothing but sunshine, and she will hardly let me get out of her sight, because she hates to be by herself, because when she is by herself, her brains hardly seem to work at all. So she loves to try on all of my hats, and she loves to tell me how all the boys in the choir can hardly keep their eyes off her. So of course a girl has to agree with her, and it is quite difficult to agree with a person when you have to do it through an ear trumpet, because sooner or later your voice has to give out. So then supper turned out to be practically the same thing as luncheon, only by supper time all of the novelty seemed to wear off. So then I told Henry that I had too much of a headache to go to church again. So Henry and his mother went to church, and I went to my room, and I sat down and thought, and I decided that life was really too short to spend it on being proud of your family, even if they did have a great deal of money. So the best thing for me to do is think up some scheme to make Henry decide not to marry me and take what I can get out of it and be satisfied. End of chapter 6, part 1